1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Jesus is our living hope. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering to things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Jesus is our living hope. And I tell you, we have a living hope like no other religion on earth. We have the only living hope. The theme, the theme of, uh, of 1 Peter is strength and comfort in suffering. Remember, there's 105 verses, and a lot of them deal with suffering and endurance. Suffering and endurance. Last week, we learned that Peter was an apostle of, of Christ. Peter, the man in his mission, he was an apostle of Christ. He was called by Christ personally. He did signs and wonders, and he saw the resurrected Jesus. And then we made an emphasis that there are not apostles of Christ today. There are regular apostles of the church, which simply means sent ones. And we made an emphasis that we consider those missionaries or church planters or that sort of thing. But apostles of Christ, no, they ended with, with, the, uh, with the death of the last apostle. Peter was encouraging those who were suffering. Remember, it was Nero persecution. In Nero persecution, the, the Christians were distributed throughout the Roman Empire, and they were experiencing unprecedented persecution because Nero was blaming them for Rome burning. And the people wanted a scapegoat. Nero wanted a scapegoat because he was being, he was being blamed, and he blamed the Christians. And the persecution was awful. It was incredible, and they were suffering. And Peter was encouraging that not to lose hope and not to become bitter in the suffering and to trust in the Lord to the end. Now, the question is, I mentioned this last week, did Peter do this? And you bet he did this. You bet he did this. His wife, remember, his wife joined him on the mission field. His wife was with him on the mission field. She died with him. It was interesting. The tradition says she died with him. And at the peak of, of Peter's grief, and, and suffering, his wife is dying right before his eyes. Remember the words of Peter, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. And then Peter, he's getting ready to die. And he's, he says, I do not want to be crucified as my Lord and ask to be crucified upside down. He wasn't worthy to be crucified like, like his Lord. And the question is, is how do we have the strength to do this? How did they have the strength to do this? And I will submit to you that God gives you the strength at the time. 
He gives you the strength. You need not worry. He will give you the strength at the time. Peter and his wife were martyred. They died in, in, their, in faith. They were faithful to the end. And, and remember, we, we talked about the finish line. And bursting through the finish line were Peter and his, and his wife. And Jesus, with open arms, I love this picture of just grasping on, holding on to them, giving them a great big hug and say, welcome. Welcome into the kingdom. And I imagine that is what they experienced, the loving arms of Jesus. Peter led a life of significance. And in order to do that, he had to leave the familiar. He had to leave the comfortable. And then for us to live a life of significance, we have to leave the things that were comfortable and familiar in the past. He was a fisherman. He left his fishing business. He must have left friends, other family members other than his wife, because he went on this mission mission journey that was second to no one, maybe, other than Paul. And he accomplished great things, he and his wife together, but they had to leave their past. And Jesus always, always, always calls us to follow him, to follow him, not to be a cheerleader, not to be a fan, not to be an admirer, but to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter did this not knowing where he was going. Remember, the calling came, and he just jumped all over it. When we get our calling, we have no idea where this will end up. None of us have any idea where it will end up, what lies ahead of us. Scripture implores us to walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Three times in Scripture we see these words, Romans 1, 17, Galatians 3, 11, and Hebrews 10, 38. The righteous shall live by faith. I will trust in the Lord no matter what comes. And remember Hebrews 11.6, God is moved by our faith. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. We must walk by faith and not by sight. We aren't going to understand everything that goes on on this side. We are not. It's not. We don't know where this journey will take us. But we know that just from life, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Now, please, do not buy in to your best life now. If this is your best life now, I mean, no, excuse me, our best life is ahead. Now, God gives us the strength to make it through this, and he gives us encouragement, and we have one another to draw strength from. We have the Spirit of God helping us through this, but we have something way better to look forward to, and you're going to see that in our text today. Way better to look forward to. Peter encouraged those in the crucible of suffering and in pain and in disappointment to know who you are. You are a child of God. Romans chapter 8, you are children of God. And, and then to be who you are, you are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are reflecting him to the culture that is around us. Allow them to see more of Jesus and less of you. That's the message there. And then to act like who you are. Act like who you are. You're, you are, you're a king's kid. We are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, as it says in Philippians 1.27. Now, Peter emphasized the importance of who we are by giving us, giving us the following words. He said that we are the elect, the elect, called out, chosen from the world, chosen by God, the people of God, holy, highly valued by God. When you're suffering, you need to know that you are valued by God, and he has not forgotten you. He also said last time that we are sanctified, set apart unto God, and we were washed by the blood of Jesus. We are not forgotten. We are significant to God no matter what trial we're going through. And remember this, we aren't home yet. 
All believers are in the diaspora, the dispersion. And we aren't home yet. And it's not going to be quite right until we are home. Remember, we are at odds with the world. We are at odds with the culture that we live in. We are out of step, out of sync with the world. Why? Because we're in different kingdoms with different kings. We've been through this multiple times. But remember this. You are, while you're traveling this sod and you are going through difficulties, which each of us have, God's Spirit will be a healing balm to you, to your weary soul. Now this week, we want to talk about Jesus is our living hope. Jesus is our living hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And as always, we are very grateful that you've given us your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that illuminates the word to our spirits. And we ask you to teach us today the things that you want us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 3, the suffering must know this, that Jesus indeed is our living hope. He indeed is our living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, notice it's abundant mercy, it's tons of mercy, gallons of mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope, plow through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been born again. Jesus rose from the dead. And guess what the promise is? Because Jesus rose, we will rise from the dead. That's the thing here. Jesus is alive, folks. It's a living hope. All other world religion leaders are dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. All the Hindu Vedas, they never existed. They're, they're as figments of imaginations, but they're dead. We have a living hope, not a probable hope, not a probable hope, not a maybe hope, but we have a living hope. Jesus is a live hope. That is a powerful hope. Every person who is saved, born again, redeemed, whatever word you want to put onto it, that believes Jesus died for their sins, knows that Jesus died for them personally. He died for you personally. He would have died just for you, just for you. It's a great message that we were saved, and we know that it's real. We know that it's personal. The most important event in history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because without the resurrection, our faith is in vain, 1 Corinthians 15, 14. One man wrote this. God brought Jesus through the most painful, awful, degrading trial from the pit of death to life, and he can bring you through any trial, whatever the trial may be, whatever trial you may face, he will bring you through. He will bring you through. That is a promise. Jesus is our living hope. He has given us abundant mercy. Again, tons of mercy. He has mercyed us and mercyed us and mercyed us. He has not given us what we deserve. That's what mercy is. Not given us what we deserve. He's given us grace and favor. Grace and favor. Jesus is a hope giver, and because he lives, we have hope. And you know what hope is? Hope is this. It's the earnest expectation of something good. That is hope. We have a hope in God, and we know that all things work together for good for those that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Folks, we have hope like nobody else does. Verse 4, Jesus is our living hope. Those suffering must know this, that we have an inheritance. Now, this is very significant. We have an inheritance. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven just for you. 
just for you. How personal can that get? This inheritance is a big, giant, huge deal. Right now, we don't concentrate on that much, but I can guarantee you that this will be very significant for eternity, your inheritance. Romans 8.17 says this. It's addressed to all God's children. If we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, meaning that we're joined together with Christ. What Christ has, we have. And then he gives this qualifier, if, if there's a condition, indeed we suffer with him. Remember, you're in a culture that is the antithesis of God. And there will be suffering here because we are Christians and we're living in a fallen world. If we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together with him. Don't underestimate this glorification part of your salvation. That is, that is a time when you will be perfected. Perfected. We will be like Christ. And we're not going to be like, we're not going to be God, but we will be fully conformed to the likeness of Christ. When we see him, it says in 1 John, we will be like him. What a thing. What a transfer. That, that's like a major. You talk about a do-over. That's like the biggest do-over. I mean, we're going to look like forever, okay? The scripture talks about a believer inheriting, co-heirs. John MacArthur talks about inheritance in this way. He says this, every child of God will receive by divine grace the full, inher the full inheritance Jesus received by divine right. The full inheritance. You're not just going to get a partial inheritance. Somebody else isn't going to get your inheritance. You're going to get everything that is coming to you. I mean, that's a great thing to look forward to. Now, what is, what is your inheritance? What does it involve? Well, there are several things that, that, that we came up with here. An inheritance of a new nature. In 2 Corinthians 5 to 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. A, a new nature, a full rights as an adopted child of God. A, a glorious new body. We're given eternal glory and honor. We have eternal rest and peace with our God. What a, that's a new nature, a new inheritance. What a blessing. What a blessing. But it's not only that. We have an inheritance of ruling. Inheritance of ruling. You know, when you get to heaven, it isn't going to be, oh, oh, I'm so, I'm so bored. I've been here like two billion years, and it's just, it's the same thing. It's not ever going to be that. The creator is infinite. He is infinite. Watch this. You are going to be reigning, in, 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 given thrones and reigning forever. Revelation 20, verse 4 says this. Now, remember, John is on the Isle of Patmos, and he's received the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is seeing into the future what will happen. He's talking about the millennial reign here. He's talking about us already in heaven. That's what he's talking about. And I saw thrones. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, the saints will judge the world. Isn't that something? You're, you're, going to be, you're going to be a king, and you're going to have some judgment that's going on. Get your act together here. It'll help you there. <laughs> yeah. And they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. That's the first group. I think that's the church. The second group is the tribulation believers. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, tribulation saints. By the way, if you go into the tribulation, that's what you get to look forward to. That's why I am pre-tribulation rapture had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus in the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and they reigned. They reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And in verse 6 it says, 
and shall reign with him a thousand years. We are kings and priests. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, again, it reiterates we are kings and priests. In Revelation chapter 3, it says we are going to reign with him. Folks, we have a kingdom that we'll be reigning in. I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know if your kingdom's going to be one little house, or it's going to be a village, or it's going to be a country. I don't know how that's going to work, but it's exciting to think about. And guess what? If you have a little house, you're going to be exceedingly happy that you had that to reign over. And whatever, you're not going to be jealous of somebody else over here with a bigger, bigger yard or something. It's not how it's going to work. We inheritance of ruling. But we also have, listen to this, an inheritance of wealth. And, and it's much more significant than money. See, money's earth. Money's, earth. money's not heaven. But you know what that wealth is? An unsearchable riches of Christ. You know what that means? For eternity, we're going to be discovering the unsearchable riches of Christ. And it has nothing to do with gold and silver. This is the mystery of God unraveled right before our eyes. And then we have this. The universe will be inheriting. In Hebrews chapter 1, we have the writer to Hebrews, whoever that was, talking about, and asked he spoke to the fathers by the prophet, and then he says this, and in these last days spoken by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Now remember, we are joint heirs. Jesus is heirs of all things, all things, through which he made the worlds. That world is aeons, aeons, A-E-O-N-S. And it actually means this. It means time, space, energy, matter, the ages, the universe. We are inheriting. I don't know what else is out there, but whatever is out there, we have inherited because we are joint heirs with Christ. I mean, that's an amazing, that is an amazing inheritance. Our inheritance is based on this. It's based on Jesus Christ. Nothing that we, we bring nothing to the table for salvation. However, once we are saved, remember at the beam seat judgment, we'll receive rewards or loss of rewards for the works that we have done. And I believe that your inheritance will be very strongly determined on what you have done after you've been saved. Remember, rewards or loss of rewards. So your inheritance is this. Listen to these adjectives. Phenomenal. Awesome. We use that word over, overuse. Everything's awesome. Man, that was an awesome cheeseburger. It was awesome. Really. Yes, stupendous. But we do know from Scripture it'll be this. It will be incorruptible. You know what that means? Never to perish. Undefiled. You know what that? Unstained by evil. It'll be perfect forever. And I love this one. Does not fade away. Forever and ever and ever will be bright and fresh. Bright and fresh. You will never hear these words. Are we there yet? Uh, 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 when are we going to get there? No, it'll be bright and fresh every single day. Amazing. Your inheritance is reserved in heaven for you and its individual. It's exciting. This whole thing is exciting. Yes, verse 5. The suffering must know this, that we have divine protection. Do you realize that? Here you have divine protection. God is going to do something for you. Watch this. Who are kept by the power of of God. You will get your inheritance. You are kept by the power of God. How? Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We were kept. We have divine protection. Now, how do you know that you will receive an inheritance? He gives you the answer. You are kept 
by the power of God, the dunamis power, all power of God. Duna is capable. God's power is infinite power, able to keep you safe. God will keep you safe. He will keep you secure. You will get your inheritance. In suffering, remember this. God will keep you safe and secure in the arms of Christ. He will get you home. Through That's God's part. But watch this. There's a human responsibility to this too. Through faith, through faith, through belief, you must believe you are part of this equation. Your job through the suffering is to have faith and believe that God will get you through. Your inheritance awaits you. Now, who went before us that they had faith to the end while all the early church that were martyred did? In suffering, God will keep you safe and secure. No one will be lost. Our job is to believe by faith. But it's easy to say, believe by faith, when you're in the crucible of pain. It's easy for me to tell you, but it's much more difficult to live out. Bill Gaither wrote a song years ago, and the chorus is through it all. Through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. Folks, that's what we need in the crucible of pain. Through it all, we learn to trust. It isn't automatic. We are learning as we go through this process to trust our Savior, to trust what God says in his word no matter what. And remember, Richard Farmer, I will trust in the Lord until I die. That is our command. I've repeated that over and over and over. In verse 6 and 7, we're talking about our divine protection will lead us to this. The suffering must know to rejoice and glorify God. The suffering must know to rejoice and glorify God. Verse 6 and 7. In this, knowing that you have an inheritance, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Now, the scripture is so honest. Your time here is a little while. So he's talking about your sojourn here on earth, whether it's 10 years, 10 minutes, 50 years, and poor you if you get to live to be 100, you know. It's talking about our brief time here. Though now for a little while it will end, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, and that's what our plight is here on earth, that the genuineness, oh, there's a, there's a purpose, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the, oh, praise and honor and glory at the revelation. You might come through this bringing praise and honor and glory to God. Let's develop this for just a second. Let's develop this for just a second. Joy is available in suffering. And I will tell you, to be joyful in suffering is not natural. What is natural? Gloom, despair. It's not natural, it's supernatural. And, we're, and, we're, and we are able to do it by the power of God, verse 5. And looking forward to our inheritance, that helps us as we go through this. And notice in verse 6, it's very honest. Scripture is very honest. There are various trials. And we've run into this word before, this Greek word, pokleos. And it means many colored, like polka dots. And again, the Bible speaks the truth about life. It's the same word we saw in James chapter 1, verse 2. Remember, James was a book talking about trials and persecution in the diaspora at the time of James. Now, James was written, written first. Peter is much later. Peter's about 15 years after James wrote. 
But the same trials were going. And James, we, we saw those various trials, those pokleos trials like polka dots. But we learned from James that it produces patience, hupomone, patience. That's a spiritual quality. That is a fruit of the Spirit. That's not natural. It's not natural to have patience in suffering. Hupomone is patience with the conditions that you are living in. The fleshly quality is the fruit of the flesh is impatience. How many want out of this right now? I want out of this right now. Well, that's, that's us. Okay, that's, I want this flu to end like right now. I want it to end, or whatever you're going through. But patience is something that is, is a spiritual fruit that will be complete and lack nothing. Those maturing in this process are looking more and more like Jesus. Look, you can't be patient in the trials and be a baby. You will not do that as a baby Christian. This is something for those who are growing. And it's what we want to aspire to. Your faith is more precious than what? Gold. Most precious thing we have here on earth financially, gold. This was, he's giving that as the illustration. God's view of your faith is more precious than gold. Now, Peter says this, the trials will test the genuineness of your faith. And remember that test that we've used this word dokimos or dokimazo, as it says here. It's proved genuine. It could be false or genuine, but the goal here is to prove you as genuine. Peter's audience, like James, was persecuted. They had lost everything. Family, friends, everybody had abandoned them. They lost their income. They were ostracized. And in Peter, many, many, many more were dying for their faith than in James. Many more. It was much more brutal because it was narrow persecution. And if they would recant, if they would bow before Nero, they could be relieved of this stress of death and watching family members die. And they would receive immediate relief. And many capitulated. Many Christians said, I can't go through this. And they bowed to Nero and they got out of that immediate death. But they gave up, they lost an eternal inheritance. For the short-term misery, they got relief. But long-term, they lost their inheritance. What a tragedy. Peter says, don't bow. He's telling us, don't recant. Pass the trial, the various trials. Come through approved. The result of passing the trial of your life, whatever it might be, is the praise and honor and glory of Jesus. Isn't that what we want? I want to bring honor and glory to my Savior. And he's coming soon. This is an awesome reward. Remain faithful. Remain true. Pass the test. Remember what Paul said about the test in 2 Corinthians 4.17? No matter what you're going through, he says, these are light and momentary afflictions. Light and momentary. You get something for 20, 30, 40 years. Light and momentary. What's he comparing it to? Eternity or you won't have any memory of this. Light and momentary, they are passing. This will bring glory and honor to Christ. Various trials, various trials. They come in all different shapes and sizes. God will help you through. That's the message. Verse 8. So, those suffering must know this, that Jesus is in the trial with you, or in the furnace of affliction with you. Never forget this. Verse 8 and 9. Whom having not seen you love. He's speaking about Jesus. We have not seen him, yet we love him. Though now you do not see him, yet believing. No matter what, I believe he is with me. 
I believe he is with me. I don't see him. I can't touch him. I can't hear him. I can't see him. I can't taste him. I can't sense him in any way with my physical senses, but I sense him in my heart and in my spirit. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Even though we cannot see him. Now look at Thomas, doubting Thomas, did not see Jesus on the first appearance that first Sunday night, did he? And he saw him the next week, and he says, oh, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, you've seen, Peter, but blessed are those who, have, who believe and have not seen. How about this one? How about this one? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. I'm going to just give you, these are such great words, I will just repeat them for you. Now, the, the setting here is Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful king earthly king that has ever lived. He built a statue of himself, and he was the head of gold on this statue. And he built this thing. It was 90 feet tall, and he demanded that everyone bow before that statue to give him honor and glory and praise. And when the flute went off, when the harp and the lyre and the psaltery and the symphony and all kinds of music, everyone was to fall down and worship. And there were people in the kingdom that noticed these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they would not bow. And what did they do? They scurried over to Nebuchadnezzar and says, oh, these Jews, something critical, are not bowing before your statue. You know what Nebuchadnezzar did? He had a hissy fit. They're not bowing. I'm going to make them bow. Bring them before me. And he addresses them. Fall down. This is your last chance. Fall down to this idol that I have made. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we pick it up in verse 16. Listen to the language. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You know why? Because they have already determined in their hearts what they would do. Just like Daniel in chapter 1, he determined in his heart not to defile himself with the delicacies of the king. We must determine in our hearts beforehand that we will not go certain places or do certain things. When the temptation comes, we have determined in our hearts we will not progress down that road. We have no need to answer you this, Nebuchadnezzar. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, these guys are real. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold of image which you have set up, and Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 19, went into a full rage of fury. And he ramps up the furnace seven times more, so much so that the guys that are taking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, poof, they're disintegrated, poof. And they, go, they get bound, they get thrown into the fiery furnace, and we pick it up in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke to, saying to his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, no longer bound, loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And I don't know if, if that was Jesus or not, but I like to think it was, that it was Jesus in the affliction in the furnace with them. 
Folks, we have that promise that Jesus is in the furnace with us. There's no guarantee we're going to have a result like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we have to have an attitude, an attitude. Even if God chooses not to do this, we will follow him. Whether I'm thrown in and disintegrated or not, I will follow my God. Making it through the Nero trial or the Nebuchadnezzar trial, recant or die trial or various trials, the end of your faith is the salvation of your souls. I will believe until I am out of here. Jesus expects his followers to be faithful to the end, no matter what. It's only possible with his power. It is only possible with his power. And I want you to say this, never, never, ever forget this. No matter the trial, Jesus is in the furnace with you. Now, that's comforting. That is comforting. It's Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope. Now, notice the tranquility of it. We have this hope. I don't care what trial, how turbulent your life will be, but we have this hope. We have this hope. An anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Folks, we are anchored in our Lord. We are anchored in believing in him no matter what. And though you might be in the midst of a hurricane, you're in the calm of Christ. You know what? I like to think this this has nothing to do with our teaching here today. But I like to think of Noah and the ark. Now that, when when the flood came, it wasn't just a heavy thunderstorm. The whole earth burst forward, and there were upheavals and and volcanic eruptions, and there were tidal waves and tumultuousness like never has happened on earth since, before or since. But yet I have a suspicion that in the midst of that, That ark, the scripture doesn't say this, but I'm just saying what I like to think, that ark was in the calm of that water. You know why I believe that? Because it was full of animals. Can you imagine what would happen to the animals thrashed all over the place? Can you imagine giraffes, elephants? They would have been killed on the boat. I think they were in the calm. Just like us, we're in the calm of our Lord. Even in the midst of the worst storm. Hold on to him. Safe and secure, verse 10 and 12. Those suffering must know the prophets and angels long to know about your salvation. Your salvation. The church age was a, was a unique thing in God's plan. And we are in the midst, I think we're at the very end of the church age. But it was very special. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, it wasn't about them, there's a people coming, but to us, it was about us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, who through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels, even angels, are desiring to look into your salvation and how this whole thing works and why. Why, God, have you provided this for these people? Why? Why? The Old Testament prophets, with the Holy Spirit in them, did not comprehend God's full redemptive plan. Remember, it's progressive revelation. Adam didn't know the whole thing. Abraham didn't know the whole thing, but it's revealed progressively. Now we know the whole plan. Charles Ryrie says this, 
The prophet spoke of grace being given to the Gentiles. They did not understand all that was involved to God saving people through the suffering Messiah. I want you to think about a prophet. I just took one as an example, and he's Isaiah. Think about Isaiah when he penned Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. When he penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what must he have been thinking? This had to have been an amazing thing that he was, who is this that I'm writing about? Who is this that I'm writing for, about? For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And this person that's coming to earth will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's going to be a forever kingdom. There's no more Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Ten-Nation Confederation. Those are the major players throughout history with the Ten-Nation Confederation coming soon. No more. This kingdom that Jesus set up will be a forever kingdom, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. It's a forever kingdom. And how will it be accomplished? Oh, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of armies, will assure that this takes place. Now, Charlie Garrett says this. He says this. Imagine Isaiah receiving God's words, knowing they were God's word, and then reading them again and again and again, searching diligently, trying to discover the meaning of the very words that he just penned. He says that's almost unimaginable. A man would be born, and yet he would be called the mighty God. Men are born, they live, and then they die. And yet it says he would be everlasting. He would be the everlasting Father. Each word used to describe this coming one shouts out to us of the incarnate word of God. Yes, we know him as Jesus. Oh, but Isaiah could only look forward and wonder. And we live in a time that we know, that we know, that we know whom he is. The prophets were not the only ones that were amazed. You know who else minds were blown? The angels, blown away. The angels are not able to experience salvation. They're spirit beings, but they did have their time of testing. And in their time of testing, Lucifer rebelled. And one-third of the angelic realm, I don't know how many that was, but it had to be plenty, decided that they would side with Lucifer and turn against God, turn against God. The ones that stayed true to God, the two-thirds, are called the elect angels, the elect angels. And I want to suggest this to you, that all of God's higher creation, he gives the ability to choose contrary to God. That's contrary choice. Angels and humans. Angels and humans. And those angels who passed their test are called the elect angels, the elect angels. 1 Timothy 5.21 says this, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing without partiality. The angels who stuck with God were confirmed in their their belief that I'm sticking with God and not going with Satan. There will never be another rebellion in heaven because these are now confirmed and elect. We, when we believe, are confirmed and elect in our faith. There will be no more rebellions of humans or angels or anybody in heaven. We'll all be conformed to the likeness of Christ. All have a purpose and a direction. The angels stand in amazement at God's redemptive plan. 
that God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, would die for mankind's, would die for their sins. I mean, you created them, and they are so much lower than us, but yet you're dying for them. That was amazing to them. The Old Testament prophets and angels longed to know about your salvation. They longed to know about it. In conclusion, those suffering must know that Jesus is our living hope. Peter informs the persecutor that of his day, and by extension us today, that suffering will come and it'll be coming in various forms, pokleos, like polka dots, some big, some small, but they will come. This is reality on earth, but the also reality is that they will end. This too shall end. In the crucible of suffering, in the fire of the trial, we must recall and focus on Jesus, our living hope. This will help you make it through. You, know, you might have your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, whoever else bumps up against you. We need human support, but there's nothing like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus that will give you support. He is real and he is with you. He's in the furnace with you. It's proved by his resurrection that he is alive. We serve a living Savior. And we have an inheritance, folks. Now, we think about that, oh, that's going to be sometime in the future. Hey, it's right around the corner. It's right around the corner, and it's a big deal that we are joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. That is incorruptible. It will not fade away. And it has been reserved for who? You. You. We are kept by the power of God, the dunamis power. This will help you make it through. And remember this, this will also help you, that trials have a purpose. When you're tested by fire and refined, our goal is to look more like Jesus. This will help you make it through. There's a purpose for the trials. It's to change us from old us to new us, that I will trust in the Lord until I die. I don't care what comes. I will trust him. To those who are in the fire now, some people are not in the fire and everything is rosy and you're on Cupcake Mountain, little cherry on top. Got my raise. Got my raise. Got my bonus. Everything's cool. House is in order. Husband and wife are okay. It's not the way it is with a lot of people. Those in the fire now, sick and tired of being sick and tired, Chuck Swindoll says this, quote, only Christ's perspective can replace your resentment with rejoicing. Jesus is the central piece of the suffering puzzle. If you fit him into place, the rest of the puzzle, no matter how dark and enigmatic, begins to make sense. That's when the rejoicing first begins to replace resentment and despair. Jesus fitted in to your puzzle of why. Like Job, we may never know why. We may never understand why. We're not told. Job was not told. We're not told. But those who place their trust in Christ know that they know that they will never, 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 never give up because Jesus is our hope. Say that with me. Jesus is our hope. He is enough in any trial. Grab on hold on, abide in his strength, and he will carry you through. He guaranteed it. Guaranteed it. Let's say it one more time. Jesus is our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for allowing us to have this word of God today, that we serve a God of hope. 
And we, like we've said in Scripture before, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Lord, you've not abandoned us on this earth, but you've given us your Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, who is the rod of iron up our spine that allows us to stand through any tumult that will carry us home and will allow us to make it through this. And it's not only the Spirit of God, but we are also abiding in Jesus. He is the author and finishes of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And now he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for us. And one day our Jesus will come back for us. He's not going to abandon us. He will come back for us and we'll forever reign with him. What a picture. What an inheritance. What a wonderful thing you've done for us, Lord. Right now, Father, if there's anybody here that does not know you as their Savior, they have not bowed their knee before you, not believed that you've taken their sins, then I pray today that this will be the day that they come to know you. This will be the greatest moment of their life, to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. What an honor. What a privilege. What a, what a tremendous inheritance we have. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, please do your work in each heart that is here. Touch us in our area of need. In Jesus' name, amen.